Okay, good afternoon again, and welcome to another Nalys IMDTT panel discussion. My name is Jewel Batiste Richards, and I'm a librarian, one attached to the Port of Spain London Libraries Nalys. Our topic of discussion today is helping abused and bullied boys. And again, we have to distinguish the speakers who would be presenting on today's topic. We have Mr. Marcus Kisun and Mr. Kwesi Kuju. And our moderator for today is Dr. Kerry Rai. Dr. Kerry Rai is a leadership consultant. He's a high-level achiever, and he has a PhD in leadership. He's also an author and a lifelong learner and his scope of interest spans a strategic planning policy analysis and operations project management. So I'll now turn the program over to Dr. Rai to introduce our speakers and to continue. All right, Joel, we have about 20 minutes, right, for the session? Um, we probably, probably about 15 minutes for each speaker because it's free Zoom we are using. Right, okay, yeah, so count to 40 minutes. All right, so, um, good afternoon all. Welcome to a bright and sunny day. If you can't see it outside, it's the news. Um, so we have with us Brother Marcus Kisun, who is a member of the women's movement since 2008. Um, his areas of work are Indianist, masculinities, child sexual abuse, HIV, and sex work. Marcus holds a Master of Science in Interdisciplinary Gender Studies from UWE and his thesis focus on male survivors of child sexual abuse. But Chris Kojo is a father and a husband. He is the founder of Python Solutions. Am I pronouncing that right, Chrissy? An NGO which promotes social change and development by connecting people, ideas, and resources through social projects. Mr. Kojo is a trained facilitator and holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Behavioral Science from Andrews University and a Master of Education in Health Promotion from the University of the West Indies. So what I would like to ask both uh, presenters is to probably just give us a two minute each thereabouts, um, a brief of what they're going to present, and then we could then turn over back into each presenter doing their full presentation. So one or two minutes. Um, you want to start with Chrissy? Uh, so thank you very much again for inviting me. And you need to increase your, your volume. You all are hearing me? No. That is definitely, definitely my mic. You all are hearing me clearly now? No, still, 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 if you can increase that volume a bit. Testing, testing. All right, we hear you a little better now. Okay, I'll try once. So what I would ask is if Marcus can present first so I can do a mic changeover, if it's possible. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Marcus. So, so you just want a quick introduction. Um, yes. So, so just my area would be focusing on child sexual abuse, the male survivor. It would, I'll take out the historical context of the taboo topic. However, I want to focus on this, this paper would look at the, the gender realities and identities such as masculinity, homophobia, um, notions of masculinity, and how those impact the way in which um, men and boys disclose their child sexual abuse. And then how do we reshape um, societal functions 
uh, ways of, of viewing male victimhood as a way of ensuring that men feel comfortable enough to come forward. So that's basically what I would be doing in my um, short presentation. Great, excellent. Um, Christy, are, are you... Are you guys hearing me clearly, clearly yes, now? Excellent, yes. excellent. Excellent, great. Um, so what I'll be looking at is the whole topic of bullying and understanding the different approaches or intervention strategies that can be taken within the varying levels to address bullying specifically among boys, be it as perpetrators or victims of bullying. Okay, so which of you gentlemen wants to go first? Marcus, you can go you can you can go on. You can begin. All right, cool. So um you know, firstly I want to start off by saying that child sexual abuse generally is a taboo topic for a very naive Caribbean space um amongst families because it, it involves elements of sexuality, um, morality and ideas of what it means to be man and woman and, and how those play major roles in how we view um, victimology. Um, I think what I want to focus on is how boys are affected by child sexual abuse and notions of masculinity. Firstly, I want to say that in 2015-2016, the Children's Authority reported 915 cases of child sexual abuse, whereby 13% of them were boys. Um, and this alludes to the fact that disclosure becomes a problem because global, re, global data also tells us that one in every six boys in the U.S. are a victim of child sexual abuse. Um, the Brady Silence in Trinidad said that one in every eight adults, um, despite sex, um, would have been affected by some sort of sexual violence in their lifetime. So we do know that there is... Uh, uh, an issue affecting boys. However, I want to allude to the fact that disclosure becomes problematic for, for men differently, right? Not in competitive to the way in which women, uh, uh, the barriers for disclosure is, but the differences in how men um, come forward with their child sexual abuse or sexual assault issues. Now, child sexual abuse has a long-lasting impact on any survivor, regardless of the gender, but there are some specific issues that men tend to deal with. In particular, men often feel that, they, that their gender identity has been, com has, has been compromised um, by, by sexual abuse. Um, in my research, male survivors put, put simply that um, sexual abuse to a man is abuse against his manhood, his masculinity, his, his, his notions of being strong, having power and control, and the idea that post-trauma um, involves having emotions and men are taught to be emotionless, which becomes difficult for survivors to even disclose. Many male survivors expressed that in their years following abuse, they felt that they need to confront their masculine norms that include appearing strong and independent. These gender conformity can become a barrier to accessing healing resources, and in this case, disclosing as the first, as the first in a long line of healing, safety, and regaining agency as a human being. Um, international statistics on disclosure and reporting, child sexual abuse are low to begin with, as we note with the 13% of the children's authority. Um, boys and men can be especially unlikely to disclose. One study found that only 25% of boys who were sexually abused disclosed when they were still a child. 
Um, and I found that to be true where all my participants in my own personal thesis um, only disclosed later in life or still ha have not disclosed their abuse to anyone. Um, my research was the first time they actually explored the abuse or even um, tell their story. Um, male survivors of sexual abuse waited an average of 21 years after the abuse occurred to tell anyone and waited an average of 28 years to have an in-depth discussion. Sadly, when boys don't disclose, many don't receive the help and support needed to heal. So what we can do, because I think I, um, I'm just allowing for us to hear different ways in which gender plays a role, and then we'll open. I, I will allow for conversation to kind of take the to take the discussion even further. So, just some ideas of what we can do. Sometimes we treat boys like they are only potential perpetrators. Um, sexual abuse and assault are not potential victims, and I think that we as men um, in our spaces do not look at sexual assault victimhood as a real thing, and that denial of victimhood creates multiple barriers, disclosures, and the language needed for Caribbean men and boys to come forward with their stories, right? We focus on explaining consent, and which is vital because the prevalence of the way in which consent is underutilized and devalued is important. However, we need to, we need to find the the important balance between sharing consent as well as also ensuring that men understand that they could be victims and they're willing and we, there are spaces where people are willing to listen right we teach them that they need to respect their pair, their partners while these discussions are definitely important they are not the only conversation we need to have we also need to protect our boys by discussing the risk factors of sexual abuse we need to watch out for potential perpetrators and we need to empower our boys to have a voice and if we ever suspect or discover abuse, we need to offer all of the love and support we can. Studies have revealed that one of the main barriers to boys disclosing abuse is a fear of receiving an unsupportive or hostile response. And I'll tell you this from my, res from my research as well, the participants in the research disclosed to female figures because they felt that female figures had a more understanding, empathetic, um, Gasp, grasp of emotions, they were less judgmental because they also felt that women had similar lived experiences of sexual assault as women live sexual abuse day to day. And female figures who engage with empathy, sympathy, um, support emotional disclosure were the type of spaces that these boys and men felt comfortable in coming forward with which I would like to call on for the men's movement and for men to generally engage in similar um, engagement of quote-unquote softer characteristics, not, not typically associated with masculinity. Also, if, if you're a survivor yourself, there are places you can find help, and we know that, but I think that um, there is room for a male survivor-specific um, Interventional, uh, interventionalist approach that allows for us to continue the conversation around how masculinity, um, gender notions, um, homophobia impacts the way in which boys are affected, creating language, which again was a number one priority in helping boys disclose. Most, most of the boys who grew up in Hindu homes, which were very submissive, um, 
and shied away from um from ideas of sex sexuality body parts said that they were unable to tell their parents or anyone in their family about what had happened to them because it involved specific body parts that was never mentioned or if mentioned was mentioned with secretive names for masking what its real purpose meant and um so in closing i really want to say that we have multiple things to do we have to to shift the way in which men view masculinity and how society views masculinity and the roles that men can subscribe to we have to change the way in which language around sex and sexuality is adapted in the caribbean region moving away from a, a language of modesty and a language of empowerment and that includes talking about particular body parts we have to engage with how problematic not being a victim and how being a victim as a male is and we have to dismantle the ideas of homophobia as homophobia prevents men from talking about their sexual abuse especially if their sexual abuse took place between if their perpetrator was a man so overall i think um that is just what i want to open with some very fundamentals around child sexual abuse males experiences the gender part of it and i will allow myself to be opened for questions after well i, I want to suggest we proceed to we see um and then we'll have the questions for both parties um or questions in that both parties thereafter so we could probably have a fuller discussion because um, there may be some overlap in yes. terms of um, both presentation and responses. So, okay. Chrissy, over to you. Just confirming, are you all hearing me clearly? Yes? Yes. Great. Okay, excellent. So, going on, I'll be looking at bullying. And what I would start with is three definitions of bullying. And one is by Olweas, and it says that Bullying can be defined as a negative behavior meant to cause pain or discomfort. Chrissy, excuse me. I think that your voice just dropped down again. Yeah, well, then I'll just probably have to use the system, Mike. I'm trying to yeah, cut yeah. down any sort of ambient noise in the background. But you all hearing me better, yeah? Hello? Yes, we're hearing you. Great. Sorry about that. Um, so, Olweas was defining a bullying as negative behavior meant to cause pain or discomfort. Uh, Tatum and Tatum define it as a deliberate, conscious desire to hurt someone else or put him or her under stress. And Limba and Etion describe it as actions performed among children understood to be as repeated negative acts committed by one or more child or children against another. So we can see that bullying is a multifaceted form of abuse and indeed there will be overlap with regards to some of the underlying causes. But what I would like to zero in on is one of our um, past national reports. Because if you look at global data, global data, according to a UNICEF report in 2019, says that almost one in three students have been bullied. And they even went so far as to reveal that there's a significant difference within the prevalence and frequency of bullying in different regions. With regards to the Caribbean and Central America, it says that the number of students reporting that they were bullied were 
Now, it's not as high as the other regions, but it's still one for concern. When we look at bullying and the past report by CPASAD in 2014, where 10 primary schools in North Trinidad were, were used as a sample, a number of interesting findings came out of that report. One was, and it is, if you look at global literature and on bullying, one was that the pattern of victimization according to gender, when you look at boys, it's a bit different in terms of how boys perpetrate bullying as opposed to girls. So boys, it was found that in their acts of bullying, it was, so someone is saying that they are not hearing. This is the, 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 the highest I think my mic can go and my settings are adjusted. Tracy so, Anbach, not saying that she can't hear. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I would try, I would continue as, as she resolves because if everyone else is hearing, it may be a technical yes. issue on her end. Yes. So I would continue by saying that the data indicates that where males are victims, the act more often than not is one which involves physical force. For example, pushing, hitting, as opposed to female victims. In contrast, the acts are typically non-physical in nature. For example, um, making each other cry or sp spreading rumors or more psychological. The important thing is in understanding the forms of abuse that boys experience or perpetrate that would help in tailoring different intervention strategies. Now, what must be considered and spoken about is that boys also are victims of victims of bullying, which are perpetrated by girls. And why it's important, it sort of overlaps with what Marcus was speaking about and looking at the, the gender stereotypes, whereas a boy may more than likely, and the research has shown that, report bullying perpetrated by him against on, by another boy, as opposed to if he was a victim of bullying by a girl. And that is dangerous in that it poses, I want to say, a triple threat in that he now has to continue being, if it's not reported, a victim of bullying by a, a girl. Also, it's means that there's a lack of discussion to address the issue and it may send a message. So, and I wanna use anecdotal, I wanna use, many of us could probably relate, you know, going, well, I could relate going to school um, back in those days where, you know, as a boy, you were told you never hit a girl, but the girls were never told it's never okay to hit a boy. So it's more likely like the girls were given a green light that it's okay. And it was okay because boys were socialized to believe that your pain threshold or things that are uncomfortable or are not, how to say, not healthy for you, accepting it is sort of a badge of masculinity. So boys tend not to report. And it's important to understand this because the intervention strategy should look at the different levels be it at the school, the individual, or the community. So with regards to intervention strategies, many should be tailored to address boys and behaviors, i.e. those are forms of aggression 
and in targeting girls as perpetrators. Now, I know the topic is boys, but the reason we're talking about girls as perpetrators is because we're looking in the context here as a boy, as a, a victim. So in targeting female perpetrators, it should place emphasis on verbal and psychological aggression. For the mere reason that coming out of one of our local studies, it showed that girls were more likely to perpetrate such. Emphasis should also be placed on the lower class level. What the report revealed was that with regards to bullying and victimization, it was actually greater in the lower levels. Now, this is primary level education. So self-reporting data indicated that a large range of victimization types exhibit an increase as students move from standards two to three, and then a consistent decline to standard five. At the higher levels, the forms of bullying and victimization were more exhibited in stealing as opposed to physical acts and interpersonal physical acts. Schools in tailoring intervention strategies must be very mindful so as not to isolate victims because what it does is reinforces um, the bully's um, sense of, or it, it sends the wrong message to the school population as well in that the issue is the victim and not the bully. So schools should encourage pro-social behaviors. You would use reinforcement and messaging. And one of the, um, one of the most successful intervention strategies centers around honestly teacher intervention, but it must be consistent and it must be accurate with regards to what you are trying to address. Risk factors for bullying include violence at home, peer relations and peer approval. So what I will do is just summarize by saying the most critical risk factors which interventions should be focused on to reduce bullying should be aimed to address the following areas and that's alienation from school, self-control, anger, in terms of anger management, so that's life skills, assisting children in coping if they have experienced or witnessed violence at home, so that's social support systems, the need for a strong, consistent teacher response to bullying, so that's at the administrative level, academics, academic performance, and reducing peer approval of, be, of bullying, that is increasing pro-social behaviors within the school environment. So I would end there and open up the hand back over to the moderator, Dr. Right? Um, thank you very much, um, guys. Uh, both of you went under the time limit, so I guess we will have a little more time for discussions. Um, so just to quickly kind of summarize um, what was presented by both Marcus and, and, and Creasy. Marcus dealt with the topic of um, child sexual abuse and he mentioned that it was a taboo topic for the Caribbean people and um, about 13% of boys polled were um, subject to that type of uh, treatment. Um, there was an issue of regaining of humanness after abuse. Uh, men were more likely to disclose. I think uh, he mentioned a figure of about 25%. Um, the area of the issue is largely unexplored and he also touched on the issue of scripting of boys and the public view 
um, in terms of boys being more seen as more perpetrators than than victims. And he went into a bit on victimhood, uh, consent, um, the risk factors, uh, empowering boys, the need for love and support, the fear of boys, um, disclosure, and the type of homes, for instance, like the, the Hindu. So, Marcus, I hope I've summarized, you know, um, what you have presented. PC um, dealt with the issue of bullying and he looked at the negative behavior, um, a negative behavior that caused discomfort or pain, and um, a multi multifaceted uh, type of abuse, and both in the Caribbean and, and North America, roughly 25% um, incidence. Mentioned the CIPASAD report that. Um, did a study of 10 primary schools in the north and what it found was that boys were less inclined to report bullying by a girl and there was a difference between boys bullying girls and girls bullying. Um, he also touched on the issue of social scripting and then he went into the risk factors, things like alienation, anger management, social support systems and so on. So, um, Chrissy, I, I hope that I have more or less summarize to some extent what you have presented. So I want to open the floor now. Um, guys, you can unmute your mics. Um, open the floor and you can pose questions um, to either of the panelists. And, uh, you know, see what the feedback or the response can be. So no need to be anxious. We don't want people jumping all over the aisle. <laughs> um, after hearing the, the featured speakers, um, do you all think that some of the problems that boys would have encountered is because of um, socialization, socialization of gender, gender so socialization in the homes? And, and do you think like no parents are overcoming that or is it still very prevalent? Guys, either of you could um, address it. Marcus? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, in terms of family dynamics, um, in my work, the family was uh, the last place where my participants disclosed actually they went to female school teachers and female friends within the school um actually and one guy actually disclosed to his um his temple friend a guy actually because those were places where um particular kinds of conversations around emotions healing um and less of a disciplinary kind of a culture existed as well as the idea of being comfortable to disclose the actual incident that involves penis, anus, and that kind of thing, power domination and, and that kind of thing. Weren't types of conversations happening, happening in the home. In terms of numbers, I can't say if Caribbean families are moving away from that kind of fear. I can tell you Netflix for sure is doing their part by ensuring that that kind of conversation is, you know, in particular homes. Um, 
but I can tell you the, that uh, um, gender and sexuality is relatively young in the Caribbean. For example, the Institute for Gender is just only 30 years or so old regionally. So I can assure you that the types of conversation needed is relatively new. The transformation is very, very new. Um, but what I can say is that we have to ensure that particular kinds of conversations around body agency, safety, and not putting a particular kind of standard on them because one could talk about the penis, but when one talks about the male body having power and control or absence from emotions, then that's where particular kinds of problems come for boys. And that's the kind of conversations that we need to be encouraging where you know, it's not boys don't cry, but when you cry, you know, how could we help or what you're crying for? How could we discuss it? You know, so that's the kind of transformational work that needs to happen at the family level for sure. Thank you, um, Marcus. We see we do have much time, but um, would you like to contribute? Yes, yeah, so, so I believe... Um, lesson, we have less than four minutes. Sure, no problem. With regards to Ms. Batiste Richard's question, we can also identify or look at. So to answer your question, I'm not too sure what the data says with regards to the changes in um, behavior and attitudes towards such issues. But definitely, we also need to look at the parenting component, be it a single or dual parent home. But I want to focus on the single parent or dual parent home where there is a male or father figure or care, male caregiver present. Because we do understand that men definitely send powerful messages about masculinity and the performance of masculinity. So that's touching briefly on what Marcus mentioned, especially with regards to how do our boys encouraged to, to share their emotions. I think because parenting is definitely a skill, and again, it speaks to intervention strategies and addressing the home as a, uh, you know, the famous saying, it's a primary unit of socialization. There must be a, a push to have a holistic intervention approach. So if you're addressing an issue where a child may be the victim or perpetrator of bullying a boy, it's important and critical to get the parents involved and um, understand the home setting. For example, if there's a father present, does the, the child feel comfortable to share his you know, experiences? Or is it a case because of the parenting style and how the father was socialized? It's, he's uncomfortable because, you know, daddy says that, you know, you take care of your business, you're a big boy. Because again, even look at the dialect sometimes we use, you're either a big boy or a small man. So, you know, there are some con contradiction, con contradicting messages even in the labels we, are, we ascribe. So definitely I think it's important to look at the, the parenting styles, build parenting skills, and use a holistic approach when it comes to any intervention strategy. All right, thank you very much. Um, we almost out of time, so Jural, I, I hope they answered your question. Um, um, I, if we get cut off, before we get cut off, I want to thank Marcus I and Chrissy for their contribution. And for all of you who have tuned in and um, probably have some questions for us, um, you know. Can I, can I ask a question or are you going to quickly, cut off now? Quickly, quickly, okay. I, was, I just wanted to know the correlation between abuse and bullying um, and, and the entrance into the justice system by young men. Wow. Um, <laughs> I will go on into that. Uh, well, hear what? I think that, that, that perhaps deserves a, a session on its own. 
the correlation between um, bullying and what's the, what's the other part of it? And abuse. And abuse. Among men right? and, and the entrance into the justice system, the correlation right. between the two of them. So um, I know Jerome is with us here. So Jerome, um, maybe you, you want to put that down as another topic for discussion um, soon. All right. So less than one minute um, to go. Um, you know, a very interesting discussion. And so, again, thank you very much. And God bless and continue the good work, gentlemen.